0: You heard the intro, you know the disclaimer. If you got kids in here, get the fuck out, Ratchet Book Club. I'm Derek. Hood classics, good classics, I'm still Derek. I'm Ron. Maniac McGee was dope, I'm glad I read it. Not taking anything away from myself because that was fucking fantastic. And I hope all you little motherfuckers learned something. But let's go. God damn. Did you miss me? Like, did you miss this? Are you rubbing your nipples? I'm not. I I was just curious. I mean, if you are, that's cool. Do you? Sometimes, uh, counterclockwise is like the lick. I'm not even going to tell you how I know that. And also, guys, guess what I found out? The womanizer can be used as a thermometer. Or mistaken for a thermometer. That's what I meant to say. So don't keep it around your children. That gets awkward. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Is the email address. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Yes, bitch. Oh, God, I love Maniac McGee. And yet and still, I took so much time reading that book and making sure I didn't cuss. Shit was hard. I almost read another book after that where I wasn't going to cuss. And I was like, why the fuck do I want to do that shit to myself? Shit was hard. I decided I got to be true to myself. And truly me? This ain't it either. Y'all don't even know the real me. You you don't know my name. I'm Derek. (laughs) So, what I did for myself, because I'm me, and I wanted to do this is I found a book that is literally the size of a Harry Potter book altogether. Let me explain. Okay, so there's a series called The Cartel. Never read it before. Never even heard of it. I was going through Amazon, mind my own business, uh, looking for stuff for my wife uh, because that's what I do. I look for stuff for my wife and then I get sidetracked and I buy stuff that I don't need, mostly books. But... While I was going through Amazon Mind My Own Business, I saw this uh, book series called The Cartel. And I guess it's rated really fucking high. Which means it's probably really fucking terrible. Um, but they were selling it in a set. So there's like five books. And so they sold books one through three in one set. And then they sold books four and five in another set. And so we're going to do book one. If I like it, we'll, we'll, you know, I'll put a ring on it. If I don't, I will gently tell it that I'm going to the store for some cigarettes and I'll fucking move. I mean, it's not like it's not the first time. Anyhow, the cartel is written by Ashley and Jaquavius... Jaquavis? Yeah, Jaquavis. Let's say Jaquavis. But it's written by Ashley and Jaquavis, and they are New York Times best-selling authors. I always wonder what you have to do to best be a best-selling author when you're making books that nobody's fucking heard of. Not this one. I don't know. I don't think. But other ones. I see people being best-selling authors when I know I'm the only person who read their book. Like, it doesn't take much to put that on the cover of your book. I'm hip to y'all motherfuckers. Anyways. <sighs> The Cartel. Prologue. Diamonds are forever. Carter Diamond. Oh, that's so cute. You know, because the last name is Diamond, and so diamonds are forever is probably like their saying. That's probably like their catchphrase. Like, I am my brother's keeper was CMB's catchphrase, or keeping up with the Joneses is other people's catchphrase, whose last name is probably Jones. Yeah. Those are the only ones I can really think of. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure families have their own little things. I get Franklin's is what the Franklin's say. Moving on up is what the Jefferson's say. Or I own slaves. Depending on the race. <laughs> Anyways. The packed courtroom was a buzz as the anticipation built. And the onlookers stared at the man who made it snow. Carter Diamond was the head of the cartel an infamous crime organization, and the entire city of Miami knew it. Scattered throughout the courtroom, the entire cartel was in attendance, all of them wearing black attire. With the model's posture, he sat next to his defense lawyer, slowly rubbing his salt and pepper goatee, thinking about the weight of the verdict. Accused of racketeering and using his multi-million dollar real estate company to launder drug money, Carter could potentially go to jail for the rest of his life. The case had drawn a lot of heat when key witnesses began to come up missing or dead, including a politician who turned informant to save his own behind. So the politician came up missing and dead and turned informant. Damn, that's just, I feel bad for their family. I feel sorry for your mother. A slight grin spread across Carter's face. Dude, like, can you imagine how that funeral was? Niggas was probably like, he snitched and he was dirty. I can't do the eulogy. You do it. A slight grin spread across Carter's face as he looked at the judge and realized that the chances of a guilty verdict were between slim and next to none. Just the night before, his accountant had wired the judge $1 million to an offshore account. And just to ensure his freedom, 8 of the 12 jurors have family members missing. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, and in the custody of Carter's henchmen. At forty-three years old, he was on top of the world. Fuck the mayor. Carter ran the city. I mean, you pay off the judge, and then just to make sure, you kidnap people's families. That's that's extra credit. Carter glanced back at his family—his beautiful wife, daughter, and twin sons—who sat in the front row behind him. He winked at them and gave them his perfect smile. It amazed Carter's family that he could be in the scariest of situations and still manage to make everything seem alright. He stared into his wife's green eyes and admired her long flowing jet black hair. Baby hair rested perfectly on her edges as her natural mocha skin glowed. Taryn, his wife, was a full blooded Dominican and could have easily been mistaken for a top model. At age 38, she was just as beautiful as when she met Carter at 16. Okay, y'all know how I do this. So they said that he was 43 years old. And at age 38, she met him at 16, which means it was 22, which means when she was 16, he was fucking 21. And I'm already judging. Carter then glanced over to his daughter, Breeze. The spitting image of her mother and also his baby girl. At age 19, she was beautiful, intelligent, and being mixed with black and Dominican gave her a goddess look. Look, 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 niggas. Okay, this is me. Y'all gonna stop idolizing mixed-race babies. Okay? Y'all gonna stop sexualizing mixed-race babies. That's all. Not gonna come back to it again, maybe. I don't know. She had long, thick hair with green eyes, which made her every man's desire and every woman's envy. She smiled at her father, letting him know she was there to support him. Carter looked at his two sons, Mecca and Monroe, a.k.a. Money. They were the two oldest at 21, and although they were twins, they were completely opposite. Mecca was the wilder of the two. He wore long braids and was a shade darker than Money. His body had 20 tattoos on it, including the two on his neck, enhancing his thuggish appearance. He was a more ruthless one. Mecca, wanting so badly to follow in the footsteps of his father and become the next kingpin of Miami, was notorious throughout Dade County for his trigger-happy ways. Money was the humbler and more reserved of the two. His Dominican features seemed to shine through more than his twin brothers. His light skin and curly hair made him look more like a pretty boy than a gangster, but his looks were deceiving. Unlike his brother, he wore a neat low cut and had no tattoos. Focusing more on the money aspect of the game, money was a born hustler, and if the streets gave out degrees, he'd have a doctorate. Although he wasn't as cold-hearted as his brother, he wasn't to be underestimated. It was in their blood to be gangsters. In the early 80s, their Dominican grandfather ran the most lucrative drug cartel Miami had ever seen, and their father was his predecessor. Their family was street royalty by all means. The media had a field day with this trial, covering it since day one. CNN news cameras and several other stations have been broadcasting live footage of the spectacle for the last six months. The sound of the gavel striking the sounding block echoed throughout the packed courtroom when the jurors filed into the courtroom after two hours of deliberation. The time had finally come for the verdict. Order in the court. The judge looked over to the jury pool. Has the jury come to a verdict? All eyes were on the juror as he paused before delivering the verdict, and all of the news cameras were pointed to Carter, trying to capture his reaction to his fate. The courtroom got so silent, you could hear a pin drop. The head juror stood up with a small piece of paper in his hand. Yes, your honor, we have. We, the jury, find Carter Diamond not guilty on all charges. As the courtroom erupted with a mixture of victorious cheers and disappointing sighs, Carter nonchalantly loosened his tie and winked at the judge just before he firmly shook his lawyer's hand. Congratulations, Carter, the lawyer said as he gathered his files and placed them into his briefcase, the flash from the cameras flickering nonstop. Thank you, Carter turned around to celebrate with his family. When Taryn ran to him with open arms, he smoothly spun her around and kissed her passionately as if they were the only two in the room. He looked her in her eye and whispered, I love you. I love you too, Carter Diamond, she replied as she hung from his neck. Carter focused his attention on his kids. He kissed Breeze on the cheek, and she whispered in his ear, Diamonds are forever. That's right, baby girl. Carter embraced her with one hand and grabbed Mecca's head with the other. He kissed him on top of the head and then did the same to Monroe. Carter looked at all the reporters and photographers flocking in his direction and said, Let's get out of here. With his wife and daughter under his arms and his family around him, he made his way out of the courtroom. News reporters tried to get a comment from him, but members of the cartel stopped him before they could get close. As soon as Carter exited the building, he embraced his right-hand man, Archie Pollard, a.k.a. Polo, who was waiting outside of the courtroom along with a wave of thugs wearing all black. Polo leaned close to Carter's ear and whispered, We did it, baby. No doubt, Carter said, this city is mine. Carter stood at the top of the steps, feeling on top of the world. He pulled out a Cuban cigar and lit it his diamond cufflinks blinging as he gave the world a view of his exclusive accessories. Looking out into the street, he noticed that the cops had sealed off the area to maintain traffic control. Everyone in the city was trying to get a glimpse of the king of Miami. Money noticed something wasn't right, as he looked at each officer and saw that they all had one thing in common. They all seemed to be of Haitian descent. By the time he realized what was happening, it was too late. One of the fake news reporters pulled out his 9mm and pointed it at Breeze. No! Money screamed as he tried to warn his sister. Polo became aware of what was about to happen and shoved the Haitian, causing him to tumble down the stairs before he could let off a shot. All of a sudden, two dreadlocked Haitians popped out of an oversized dumpster, both with AR-15 assault rifles, and began letting off shots at the cartel. It was complete pandemonium as shots rang out, hitting innocent bystanders, all in an effort to take out Carter Diamond. Outnumbered, the members of the cartel were defenseless, and Carter and his family were moving targets. As everyone scrambled for cover, Carter grabbed his daughter and wife and threw them to the ground, shielding them with his body. A bullet ripped through Money's arm, and he fell to the ground. Mecca ran to his side, trying to protect his twin brother. Meanwhile, Polo pulled out his 9mm and began to return fire. He managed to keep the Haitians off long enough for the rest of the cartel to come and help. As the two crews traded bullets, many people got caught in the crossfire. The scene was a total bloodbath, with dead bodies sprawled out across the steps of the courthouse. Carter, totally disregarding his own safety, tried his best to cover his two favorite girls from the raining bullets. The police officer who had escorted Carter out of the courtroom shot at the Haitians. Come on, follow me, he yelled. He lifted Carter and waved his hand, signaling them to follow him. Carter hated police, but at that moment he was happy to see one. He gathered up Terran and Breeze and followed the officer back into the courthouse. I parked my police car in the back. Come on, they'll be coming in here after you any second now, the cop said as he closed the courthouse door. Let's go, y'all, Carter yelled in a panicked voice to his wife and daughter as they followed the policemen down the stairs and into the basement. Carter thought about his sons outside, but he knew they could hold their own. His main concern was the women. They raced through the court halls and finally made it to the exit. Just as the cop said, he had his squad car parked in the back. Carter felt relieved. They all got in, and he frantically searched his wife's and daughter's body, making sure they were okay. Are you hit? Are you guys okay? He asked. He continued to search their blood-stained clothes. He realized that the blood was not from them, but from all the blood flying from the other people. No, I'm good, Papa, Breeze answered, tears flowing down her face, her hands shaking uncontrollably. I'm okay, Taryn said. Carter hugged and kissed them both and thanked God they were okay. His concern now was for his son's. He looked up at the cop who sat in the front and said, Thanks, bro. I need you to take them to safety while I go back and... BOOM! Before Carter could finish his sentence, the cop put a hollow tip through his head, his blood and brains instantly splattering all over his wife and daughter's face as he stared with dead eyes. In total shock, both of the women yelled, No! The cop pulled off his hat, and his short dreadlocks fell loosely. He pointed the gun at Carter's body and filled him with four more bullets, ensuring that the job was done. The screams of the women didn't seem to bother him as he smiled through the whole process. The man wasn't a cop at all, but a full-blooded Haitian that could pass through a regular Joe, his light skin disguising his heritage. He pointed his gun at Taryn, and she looked directly in his eyes, unafraid of death. While Breeze gripped her father and cried hysterically. The Haitian couldn't bring himself to pull the trigger and hopped out the car. This was the beginning of a war. Welcome to the cartel, first of a trilogy. But see, the problem with that is I literally just told y'all there's five fucking books, which means it's not just a trilogy, which means y'all lying out the gate. Like, you shouldn't have said the first of a trilogy. You should have just said the first of many. Also, yeah, don't trust cops. Cops says, come on, I know a shortcut. Good, you go there. I'll meet you around back, I guess. Also, also, if Polo's still alive, why are you leaving to go with some random ass cop? Also, 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 the people who are in the courthouse are at a disadvantage because they can't take guns into the courthouse. That's like going into the club. When you go into the club, you can't take a gun into the club, but the niggas who ain't in the club got guns waiting for you to come back out. I thought y'all knew these rules. Don't go to court. Do it via Zoom. COVID, you know. Chapter one. Girl, females are going to hate regardless. That's how you know you that bitch. Taryn Diamond Seven years earlier, Carter sat at the head of the table with both his hands folded into each other. He briefly stared at each of his ten head henchmen in the face as he looked around the table, then to his right-hand man Polo, who sat to his right. As he always did, Carter took his time before speaking. He always chose his words carefully and spoke very slowly with his deep baritone voice. He poured Dom into his oversized wine cup and took a sip. Family, today the cartel has expanded. The day of hand over fist pay is over. It's a new day, a new world, a new era. For the last 10 years, I flooded the streets of Miami with the finest coke and built a monopoly. I love all of you as if you were my own blood. That's why I'm giving you the opportunity to grow. You can't hustle forever. I've recently acquired a real estate company, and this way, we could turn all this dirty money into clean money. I want all my niggas to eat with me. So, if you want to be a part of this, here's your chance. Carter took another sip and passed the cup to Polo. Without saying a word, Polo took a sip out of the same cup, signaling his response to Carter's proposition. He passed the cup to the next man, and he did the same. Real niggas did real things, and the cup got passed around the room, and all the men drank from the same cup. Mecca and Money peeked around the corner, listening on their father's meeting. Although they were only 14, they wanted so bad to be a part of the cartel. They both noticed at an early age how much respect their father received from everyone in the streets. They would get special treatment in school from teachers and students. Some of their friends' parents would go as far as giving them presents in Huntington and mention it to their father. They loved how real their father was. He would talk to bums on the street as if they were the president of the USA. He treated every man as his equal, as long as they respected him and his family. For lack of better words, Carter was a real nigga. And both of the twins admired him greatly and wanted to be just like him, but for different reasons. Monroe loved the way his father stayed fresh at all times and was a great business and family man. He observed his father's style and immediately idolized him. Carter never wore the same shirt twice and only wore the finest threads. Money also took note of and admired his father's business savvy. Every move he made was a business move, a move that would benefit him in the future. Mecca? on the other hand, admired his father's street fame. He loved the way the streets respected and feared his father. He would hear stories about his father being the man that made it snow in a city that had never seen a winter season or cutting off fingers of workers' stole. In Mecca's eyes, Scarface didn't have shit on his father. While other kids were worried about candy and chasing skirts, Mecca was thinking about chasing money and becoming the next king of Miami. As they eavesdropped on the conference, they watched as each man took a sip out of the cup. Mecca money, come in here. Carter calmly grabbed the cup that had rotated back to him. Since Carter's back was towards them, when he called their name, it surprised them. It was as if he had eyes in the back of his head. They slowly walked into the room. The boy stood nervously next to him knowing that they got caught spying on him and that their father was very strict when it came to handling business. They eased up when they saw a slight grin form on his face. Carter passed Money to the cup and looked around to make sure their mother wasn't around. Take a sip of that, he said. Money looked at the cup as if he was scared to take a sip. Mecca noticed his brother's uneasiness and grabbed the cup from him. He took a gigantic gulp of the liquor and a burning sensation rushed down his throat. It took all of his willpower not to spit it out. His face twisted up as he put one hand on his chest, hoping that the burn would go away. Polo noticed his expression and laughed loudly. (laughs) Ha! That'll put some hair on your chest, nephew, he said in between laughs. Carter joined him in laughter as he watched his other son take the cup and take a moderate sip. Money's face didn't change his expression. He took the gulp like a man. Money handed the cup back to his father and stood there with his chest out, as if he was trying to prove he was a man. Mecca followed suit. Why were you two eavesdropping on Papa? Carter playfully hit both of his sons in the chest. Money shrugged his shoulders as if to say, I don't know. Mecca looked around the table, seeing nothing but hustlers and killers. He then looked at his father, who sat at the forefront of them and a smile spread across his face. Papa, I want to be just like you. I want to be a gangster, Mecca said as he stepped in front of his brother. One of the hustlers at the table chuckled as he looked at Mecca. Little man got hustling him. That's a gangster in the making right there, the man said. Carter shot a look at the man that said a thousand words. If looks could kill, the man would have been circled in chalk. No, my son will never be that. Watch your mouth, fam. Carter stated firmly as he focused his attention back on Mecca. Look, sons, you're better than this. This game chose us. We didn't choose the game. You got the game twisted. i do this so you don't have to, Carter said as a somber feeling came over him. It hurt his heart to hear Mecca say he wanted to be a gangster like him. Let me show you two something, Carter said before he looked at his henchman that sat at the long red oak table. How many of you have lost someone close to you because of this drug game? Slowly, everyone at the table raised their hand to help Carter prove a point. How many of you go to bed with a pistol under your pillow, Carter asked. And how many of you want to get out of the game? Mecca and Money looked at everyone in the room holding up their hands. And Carter's point was proven. Do you two understand this game? It's not a game. Mecca and Money nodded their head, understanding the lesson that their father had just sprinkled them with. Take another sip of this and head to bed. Carter smiled and handed Money the cup. After the boys took a small sip of the drink, he grabbed both of their heads at the same time and kissed them on top of it. Don't tell your mother he whispered to them just before they exited the conference room. Although Carter had explained to them the cons of the street life, the allure of the game was too powerful and Mecca and Money wanted in. They just had to wait their turn. Bree stood at the balcony, totally astounded by the view, and stared into the stars. Her balcony hovered over their small lake and faced their gigantic backyard. The diamond residence was immaculate. They had just moved there, and it was a big jump from the dilapidated projects of Dade County. Breeze's 12-year-old eyes were lost in the stars as her mother stood behind her and brushed her long hair. This was a ritual they did every night, and Taryn used this time to bond with her daughter. Breeze, what's wrong, baby? Lately, you haven't been saying much, Taryn said as she continued to stroke her daughter's hair. Breeze took her time before she spoke. Her father had taught her to always think about what to say before saying it. I just miss back home. I don't like it here. None of my friends are out here. I hate it in South Beach, Mommy. Breeze's eyes got teary. I know it's hard to cope with the sudden change, Breeze, but your father is a very important man, and it wasn't safe for stay stand-aid. He did what was best for the family, Taryn answered, knowing exactly how Breeze felt. She herself had been the daughter of a kingpin, so she knew just what it was like to be sheltered because of a father's notoriety. I just don't get it. Everybody loved Pop in the old neighborhood. Why would we have to move? When it came to his baby girl, Carter held back nothing. He answered any question she asked him truthfully, wanting to give her the game so another boy couldn't game her. She knew her father was a drug dealer. But in her eyes, he was the greatest man to walk the earth. She saw how he treated her mother with respect at all times. She witnessed him put his family before himself countless times and admired that. She wanted her husband to be just like her daddy. I know exactly how you feel. You're too young to understand right now, Breeze. Just be grateful that you have all this. Most women will go through their whole life and never have the things you already have. I understand. I know what's going on. I know daddy's a dope man. I know more than you think I know. Breeze went to her room and flopped down on her canopy style bed. Tears rolled down her cheek as she curled up on her pillow. She missed her old home so badly. She just wanted to be a regular around the way girl. Taryn, her white silk Dolce & Gabbana nightgown dragging on the floor as she went to her daughter's side. Slowly entered the room and saw that the sudden change really was bothering her only daughter. She sat on the bed and began to rub Breeze's back. I know exactly how you feel, Breeze. I remember when I was your age and was going through the same dilemma. My father, your grandfather, was an important man also. I had it much worse. It took the murder of your uncle for my father to move out the hood. Your father's just being cautious. If anything ever happened to you or your brothers, our hearts would break. He's just protecting you. Taryn reminisced about her deceased brother, who died when she was only 10. He was only 15 years old when he was kidnapped and killed while her father was in a drug war. I know that we have to live like this, but it's just not fair. I feel like I don't belong here. All the girls at school look at me funny because I'm mixed. And they whisper bad things about me. I try to ignore them, but it still hurts my feelings. Girl, females are going to hate regardless. That's how you know you're that bitch. Terrence smiled and squinted her nose. Breeze couldn't help smiling at her mother's comment. She looked at how beautiful her mother was, and her comment made her look at things differently. Maybe they do look at me enviously, she thought. Before Breeze could say anything in response, Carter cleared his throat, startling them. He looked at how gorgeous the two main women in his life were. He suavely leaned against the doorway with his arms folded. What are you guys smiling at? He walked towards him. Nothing, baby. Taryn smiled and winked at Breeze. Just girl stuff. Carter bent over and kissed Taryn and then kissed Breeze on top of the head. Taryn knew that Carter had come to tuck Breeze in, as he did every night, and decided to leave them alone. I'll be in bed, she whispered to him. Good night, baby, she said to Breeze as she tapped her leg. I love you. I love you too, Mommy. Taryn strolled out of the room, her stilettos clicking against the marble floor as she made her way out. Taryn would never get caught without her heels on. Nightgown and all, she always looked the part, playing her role as the queen of her husband's empire. She was wifey. There was no doubt about that. Carter stared at his wife as she walked away and then turned his attention back to Breeze. Hey, baby girl, he sat next to her. Hey, Papa, Breeze sat up and focused on her father. How was school today? Carter asked as he rubbed her hair. It was okay, I guess. Breeze, you know I know when you're lying. Tell Papa what's going on. I just miss my friends. The people in my school are so funny acting. I wish we could move back home. Breeze dropped her head. Carter placed his finger under her chin and slowly raised her head. He looked into his daughter's green eyes and smiled. Baby girl, don't worry about that. Everything takes time. They'll come around eventually. I'll tell you what. Carter stood up and smoothly put his hands on his $400 Armani slacks. Why don't you call up some of your friends and tell them you're having a sleepover? You can invite as many of them as you want, and I'll have a limo pick up each girl. Would you like that? Breeze's eyes lit up, and she gave him the biggest smile ever. Yes, thank you, Papa, she said as she leapt into his arms. Carter had promised himself that he wouldn't let outsiders enter his new home, but he had a weak spot for Breeze. She was his only daughter, and he spoiled her more than he did his twin boys. What about boys? Breeze looked at her father. Can I invite them too? His smile quickly turned into a frown as he looked at Breeze like she was insane. Gotcha, she said as she broke into laughter. Baby... Don't do that, he said, joining her in laughter. You almost gave this old man a heart attack. Although Breeze was joking around, he knew that the day when she would be serious was soon to come. It was a day that he would dread. So at this point in time, this sounds a whole lot like the coldest winter ever. Um... Except that... You know the dad is more honest and, and, and the mom actually has a speaking role but it doesn't mean that they didn't read the coldest winter ever and take the mistakes Assistant Sister Soldier made and fix them so we'll see you know her missing her friends and all that kind of stuff I'm glad that he's being open and honest with her that's always important but we'll see it uh, looks like I'll be doing two chapters per episode for this one maybe three later but right now no not yet 916-633-1537 Ratchet, and Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Ratchet Book Club is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, leave a review on Podchaser. Uh, the cool thing about Podchaser, you can leave a review for separate episodes or you can leave it for the show as a whole. Uh, five stars are appreciated. If you don't leave five stars, just let me know why it's not five stars so then I can decide if I want to fix what you call an issue. The issue can't be he's black doesn't work that way you can also become a patron at patreon.com backslash single simulcast you can buy me a coffee which i don't like coffee but i love books and the book money that you will give from buy me a coffee will help me buy books you understand what i'm saying so go to buymeacoffee.com backslash sscast and do that Holler at me i'll holler back thank y'all so much for listening i greatly do appreciate it i'll holler at y'all later y'all be good peace